DEI budgets are under attack, but the goals haven't changed. Whether you're looking to increase your DEI knowledge, expand your market reach, or gain a competitive advantage in business, we have the solution. TDM Library is your single source for expert curated DEI resources, strategies, and solutions, all designed to help you transform your workplace culture and be a more effective contributor. For $9.99 per month, you get access to our searchable subscription-based digital library. There, you'll find articles, practical how-to guidebooks, podcasts, award-winning micro-videos, and more than 700 Q&As designed to help DEI practitioners, thought leaders, and executives create a more inclusive workplace. Whether you prefer to listen, watch, or read, we have the resources for you. TDM Library goes beyond the basics to dive deep into topics such as inclusive language, the business case for DEI, talent acquisition, and C-suite engagement. For less than the price of a sandwich, you get access to our library of more than a thousand pieces of original expert curated DEI content. Join today and get your first 30 days free. Get your library card now at tdmlibrary.thediversitymovement.com. You can't stop me, nothing's gonna stand in my way. You're listening to the High Octane Leadership Podcast with Donald Thompson. The world is shifting around you. None of us were trained for this changing environment. You need high octane leadership in an empathetic world before your business is swallowed alive. This podcast focuses on actionable, hands-on tools you can use to become a high octane leader today and grow strong leaders throughout your organization to survive tomorrow. Join me along with global C-suite leaders, rising stars, ambitious entrepreneurs, and other leaders from across industries as we dissect, interrogate, and redefine high-octane leadership in an empathetic world. This podcast is your home for uncovering the tools, lessons, and strategies you need to push your leadership to the next level. Welcome to another episode of High-Octane Leadership in an Empathetic World. I have today a guest, good friend of mine, Rajiv Kapoor. One of the things that is exciting about today's episode is we're going to talk about Rajiv's new book. It is focused on artificial intelligence. The title of the book, AI Made Simple, A Beginner's Guide to Generative Intelligence. Rajiv, before we dive into the business elements, background, career, and specifically your new book on AI, introduce yourself to our audience. Tell them a little bit about yourself that we wouldn't find on LinkedIn. Wow, that you wouldn't find on LinkedIn. Well, first of all, thanks for having me, Don. I appreciate it. And thanks for your team to help put this on. And I really appreciate your guys' time and, and, the re- and the listeners who are actually listening right now. I appreciate your time as well. Something you wouldn't find on LinkedIn. You know, um, I'm a born and raised Southern California boy. So my everything sports related to me is everything is uh, LA based except for the Clippers. We don't like the Clippers here. <laughs> uh, but, you know, so, but beyond that, I will tell you, you know, I, I actually got the writing bug during COVID. So I actually wrote my first book during COVID. And the name of that book is called Chase Greatness. I know we're going to touch on that briefly. Uh, and then I wrote the second book that you mentioned, but I got that writing bug and I've actually written three movie screenplays. And I actually have an agent who's repping me to sell those movie screenplays. So there you go. That That's is something. awesome. And that, 
And, and that's definitely super, super interesting. One of the things that we all kind of uh, hit that bug as business leaders is we think about writing that book. We think about writing that movie, but life kind of gets in the way. So before we dive in, I'm interested into what was that tipping point for you that moved it from this thing I want to do, good intentions, to actually putting pen to paper, so to speak, and getting it done? Well, for the first book, life got in the way, but life paused during COVID, right? So here you are working from home. I mean, I can only walk my dog a couple times a day. He got tired of me walking him 15 times a day. I couldn't go anywhere, couldn't do anything. And, you know, forget about whether, I mean, I, I have no problem telling people I used to wear masks and I got vac- vaccinated and all that stuff. I don't have any issues with that. But you know when you fly on an airplane, Don, well, what's the one thing that the flight attendant tells you when you sit down when they're doing the briefing? Well, in case of turbulence, put your own mask on first. And the reason why, and they tell you that, is that if something happens to you, you can't help the person sitting next to you. And so I needed to do something where I was putting my own mask on first, no, no pun intended. And I decided to write, write the book. So that's when I wrote the first book. And I had notes from everywhere. You know, I'm mean, sure you do too. Like, I had notes on my phone, notes on my laptop, notes on a whiteboard. You know, st- you know, I had notes in 14 different folders. It's like, I wasn't organized. I didn't know what to do. You know, it's like, so I just took the time during COVID and I kind of put all my notes in order and I started writing my outline and then I got things going and I wrote about 70% of the book and then I kind of hit a wall. And then, you know, I'm a member of this organization called YPO, the Young President's Organization. Even though I'm, a, I'm an old fart now, I joined it when I was a lot younger and and I reached out to some people and and they put me in touch with this publisher and they and they they decided to help me out a little bit and got an editor and someone helped me with the cover and helped me with kind of the overall look and feel of the book and, and the flow and and uh, just uh, did, took the big leap you know during the COVID timeframe so so the first book was it was a labor of love during COVID and after I wrote the first book I wrote my first movie screenplay and then the book came out in uh, November of 2021 and. It was an immediate bestseller, and it's called Chase Greatness, Enlightened Leadership for the Next Generation of Disruption. And I talk about how in the next couple of years, there's going to be massive disruption in the workforce, um, not just from AI, but from other things. And we can talk about that. And then when ChatGPT was released to the masses end of November, early December, you know, and I had been certified in AI from MIT a couple of times. I mean, this is going to change the world. And it would be easy for people to just jump on ChatGPT and learn it. But there's something more here. And so I started writing the book and I wanted to write a book that my mom would understand, mm. you know, that, that people who are not technical would understand. And so hence um, AI Made Simple was born. And, and like I was telling you in the, in the rundown before we started, I, I was thinking about calling it AI for dummies, but I couldn't do that for obvious reasons. But there you go. AI Made Simple. So well, let's see where it goes. I'm excited for it. That is fantastic. One of the things that you described that I'd like you to unpack a little bit right, is AI is going to change the world, right? And one of the things that, um, you know, I remember when the internet shopping, and I'm using that specific term, and malls were going to go away, right, and change the world. What about AI, right, makes you say it's going to change the world in such an intentional way that you phrased it? So here's the thing. I'll give give you a, a few examples. Number one is AI is going to do the one thing money can't do. Money can't buy time, but AI can buy you time. A task that normally would have taken maybe three or four hours, you can now do in three or four minutes. What are you going to do with all that extra time? It's definitely going to allow you to become more efficient at work. It's going to allow you to potentially put out more. 
in terms of output. It's going to allow you to really think about new ways of creativity. I did a demo this morning, and one of the demos I gave was we, we planned a five-day retreat to Sicily, all using ChatGPT. And it gave hotel recommendations, restaurant recommendations. One of the people had a food allergy, so they're vegan. So it made recommendations for, 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 for people who are vegan. And so it doesn't matter if you like to be vegan or not. The point of it is, is that you can use these tools to do those things. Something that would have taken you hours to do, it did in minutes. And you don't have to use it, but it gave you an amazing foundation, right, of moving forward on, on, on how to basically use these tools and, and how to basically set up your vacation or whatever it might be. So, so it's going to buy time, right? It's going to give people back time. And the question I have for people is, what are you going to do if you had extra time? You can do anything you want, right? That's one of the things it's going to do. It's going to enhance our creativity, you know, like I mentioned. But at the same time, there's, there's going to be potentially challenges out there as well. You know, just like there's good AI, there's going to be bad AI. You know, you have to watch out for the Superman effect. Well, what's the Superman effect? Imagine if Superman was raised by the cartel in Colombia. with the <laughs> Superman. <laughs> That's you know, right. Like, what type of Superman would we have? Right? The same thing here is with AI. There's going to be challenges. So what that means, there's going to be whole new opportunities. If you think about if you think about the world, if you think about organizations and companies that exist today, I mean, we're recording this on Riverside. I guarantee you Riverside didn't exist 10 years ago, but it exists now because of the explosion of podcasts. And think about all the people that have to run or are now employed by Riverside. You know, think about all the tools, you know, the, that all the new companies that have started in the last 10, 15 years because of the mobile revolution, the social media revolution, the advancement in technology, you know, whether it's a Netflix or an Airbnb or an Uber or whatever. You know, those, those companies now employ thousands of people, right? They, they, thousands of jobs got displaced, but they, new jobs got created. And the same thing is going to happen here. So it's just a natural evolution, in, in my view, of what's coming. And the more you can embrace and learn these tools, the better off you're going to be. Now, I'll tell you this, and, and, I, and, and, I, and I mean this 100% certainty. In the next few years, you, know, you, don't have to, you don't have to use AI in your company. You don't have to use it yourself. But I'll tell you, what I know for sure is that companies and people that don't use AI are going to be replaced by companies that do. So which one do you want to be? That is powerful. And I appreciate the example of planning a retreat using AI. Because one of the things when you use a term that is new to many is what are the use cases, right? What are the things to where I can apply this, right, to my everyday life? So my question to you is, you mentioned writing this beginner's guide right? So the non-technical, the non-MIT grad could understand. What would be that foundation of learning what AI can do for me so that I can buy back more of that time versus getting lost in kind of the buzzword salad of it? That's a great question. And I can tell you that there's probably three different buckets to look at. There's a business bucket from that perspective. There's a personal bucket and a family bucket. So let's start with the business side. On the business side, you know, there's the F around and find out portion of this whole thing and opportunity, right? Which is you got to just go get it, get 3.5. It's, uh, you know, or, or pay the 20 bucks a month to get ChatGPT 4.0. I'm paying the $20 a month for myself. I'm also paying it for over 80 for, for 80% of my employees. I've got 140 employees. I'm paying it for, for roughly, you know, 112 of them, I think I'm paying. I'm paying for 4.0. The other ones can get by with 3.5. And you got to just start using it. You have to just try. And so the biggest thing I talk about in the book is, hey, just open it up. Don't be afraid. 
Pretend you're talking to another human on the other side of the screen, but someone who's really fast at responding to you. It's, you know, and what people don't understand is that they've been around AI for a long time, whether it's in entertainment and media. Think about Star Trek. Hey, beam me up Scotty type stuff, right? Talking to, you know, or Jarvis from Avengers. That's all AI. That, that's, in, that's in that entertainment side of things. But, you've been, but we've been surrounded by AI in our personal lives, in our business lives, every single day. Netflix uses AI. Rajiv, you watch this show? Now I recommend you watch this show. That's AI. Google Maps, Apple Maps is using AI to better its, its directional finding for you. It's bettering its GPS, right? Tesla, if you have a Tesla and you have the self-driving car feature, you know, it's using AI to better, to better how you use the car. You know, Amazon, everybody who's listening to this has an Amazon account, I bet. And what does it say at Amazon? People who bought this book also like this book. Because you bought this product, we recommend you use this product. That's all AI. Now, that's using machine learning AI. That's a different kind of AI. But we're using it, right? Same thing goes for Apple, Siri, those things. That's all AI, right? So, you know, when you're, you know, people complain sometimes if you're talking on your phone, then all of a sudden you open up Instagram, it gives you an ad for something similar to what you were just talking about because the phone's listening to you. That's all AI, so we've all been surrounded by this AI stuff for a long time. We just don't realize it. It just has morphed. It's morphed to this generative AI piece. And people just get a little scared because it's like a machine answering you, not a human answering you, right? And so you got to just get in there and forget about the fact that a machine's answering. Pretend it's a human answering you. So that's what we really talk about first and foremost, which is don't be afraid. Just start using it. Have fun with it. There's so many cool, fun things you can do with this tool. You, If you want to write a book, Ask it to help you write a treatment or an outline for whatever book you want to use. People say, well, gee, did you use ChatGPT to write this book? No, I didn't. But there are examples in the book where we specifically call out, where I specifically call out that this was written by ChatGPT. So we give it different examples and you can have fun with it. You know, if you have to give a toast at a wedding, use ChatGPT to help you write the toast. If, if you have to go and, and, and you feel like you want to write a poem because it's your boyfriend or girlfriend's your wedding anniversary and you want to tell them how much you love them, you want to write a poem, have ChatGPT help you write that poem. If you're a musician and you really want to maybe, you want to think about maybe, you know, writing a new song, well, use ChatGPT to maybe help you, give you some guidelines on the lyrics or what, what to think about. So, so start off by just having some fun. You know, one of the things I, I see a lot of people doing now is they're planning their meals using ChatGPT. Maybe you want to lose some weight and you want to, you know, you want to lose 20 pounds, give it, ask it to give you a plan on how to do that. And it will. And tell you what food to eat, what not to eat. You know, one of the things I've been I, I've been playing around with is how to make the world's best chocolate chip cookies. It gives me the recipe, and we go try it. We go experiment with it. We try it. So, so so many cool, fun little things that, that you can do. You just got to go to. You got to just start using it. You got to get comfortable with it. Oh, that's powerful. I really like the analogy, the Superman effect. And I hadn't heard it built that way before. Right? What if Superman was raised, right, by the cartel? So now let's talk about AI and generative intelligence and what are some of the things that we need to be thinking about, right, as a society to make sure that we're gravitating towards the good, but we're also being thoughtful, right, about some of the the, the downsides of new technology and how it could be manipulated. Yeah, I mean, look, there's that old saying, with great power comes great responsibility, you know, and if you think about from a social media perspective, the good news is that everybody who has social media has a voice. The bad news of social media is that everyone has a voice. The same thing is going to be here. The good news is everyone has access to, access to these tools. The bad news is everyone has access to these tools. There are people out there who will create deep fakes. 
And for those of you who are not familiar with a deep, a deep fake, a deep fake is when someone can take my image, my voice, create a video of me saying something really bad that I didn't say. And it looks and sounds like me. We have an election coming next year. I guarantee you there's going to be some deep fakes out there of Biden and Trump, of them doing stuff that they didn't do. The whole idea of truth is going to be blurred, and you have to be careful with that. And companies are going to come out of this, and there's going to be new companies that are come out, and all you know what they're going to do? Their whole job is going to be to identify deep fakes. Intel's got a new product called the deep fake detector that's 98% accurate. So that's an area that, that we have to watch out for. And that's a, that's a real example, and those are real things. You know, you, you, you can go on right now on YouTube or on, and, and you, can, you can ask it to show you Frank Sinatra AI. You'll see Frank Sinatra singing Tupac. <laughs> crazy. It's crazy. So, you know, all, all that's possible. All that's available today. It's available to anybody that has a computer or, or a smartphone. But we as a society have to really think about what type of regulation is going to really matter. And it's going to be up to our governments, not just in the U.S., but all over the world to really step up. And someone, someone's going to have to stand up and show real true leadership and really make sure that we have really good regulations in place to protect the consumers and protect businesses. One of the things, and I appreciate that very much, and an example I'll share with you is I was uh, listening to a talk, the co-founder of Apple, Wozniak, and when the Apple card came out, and he was describing that he and his wife have shared assets, same credit score. They both applied through the system for the Apple card, and his uh, uh, approved balance was twice as much as his wife's. How do we look at technology and make sure that we're managing, right, some of the implicit biases that can be built into machine learning, into AI, uh, and different things of, of that nature? How, how do we how do we help to manage that and protect against it at whatever level that we can? So, you know, the, my answer to your question is I really don't know. I guess if I really knew that answer, uh, I'd share it with you when you go be a billionaire somewhere to figure <laughs> that out. Right, right. Right. Uh, but I, th- this is what I think. Like, I, I don't know Wozniak's specific example, but I can imagine that the Apple card was trained on some sort of algorithm and that algorithm had data in there that, that, that said men did this and women did this. Right. If that's an issue, then that's something that Apple and Goldman Sachs, I think, who's providing the, the finances for it, need to sit down and address. Right. But the thing the thing to think about is that machine learning is a human trained thing. Right. It's. You have data, and those that have data are going to rule the world. That's just the bottom line, right? Those who have data, control data, understand data, know how to analyze the data. If you have data, you are going to be so far ahead of everybody else. You're going to rule the world because AI needs data. And right now, we measure the world, we're starting to measure the world in zettabytes, and a zettabyte is 1 million billion um, bytes of data. And then in the next seven years, there's going to be 200 zettabytes of, of data in the world. And how can you control that data? How do you now feed that data with the right training to be able to put out really good information? The challenge with the challenge with AI on the machine learning side is garbage in, garbage out. So, so I would imagine that somewhere along the training of that algorithm through Apple, there was a bunch of data submitted about potentially maybe women's earning power, right? Maybe not being as great as men's earning power. We all know that's an issue, right? Women don't make as much money as men. So, you know, maybe there's something out there that, you know, men are the primary breadwinners in a lot of families. So maybe that was an issue. So, and I don't, and I'm just spitballing here. I have no idea what the algorithm said. So sure. that could have been some of the things that, that, that caused that, that result to happen. On, you know, on the generative AI side, it's a little bit different. Generative AI has learned from all the parameters and inputs that have happened all over the web. 
And over time, I think what you're going to see is people are going to be able to train and have their own little generative AI solutions. They're going to be have their own private GPTs. I know that, for example, JP Morgan is working on finance GPT. My One of my analytics companies is working on data GPT, right? where it's a private GPT, just trained on our own data. And over time, I can imagine families will have their own little mini versions of GPTs in the next five or six years, where it's just been trained on whole family dynamics or an individual's dynamics. And all that's coming down the road, but that's way out there, man. That, that, that's future you know, you know, scientific stuff. And, but from a simplistic perspective, I, you, know, you just got to use the tools. You got to just start by asking it simple questions and pretend you're having a conversation. And over time, learning how to write those prompts in ChatGPT, that's going to be the real science. Prompt, mm. engineering is a, prompt engineering is a thing. There's a job right now on Netflix. I don't know you may have seen this, but Netflix has a job opening right now for a prompt engineer that's making $900,000 a year. That's crazy. Why is this strike happening right now in Hollywood, the writer strike and the acting strike? Well, because AI tools can mimic people's faces. And they can then, the studios can then use that without having to pay anybody. And that's not right. So that's why that actor strike is happening. The writers are saying, wait a minute, you can just, you can just use AI to write scripts and, and you know, treatments for movies or TV shows. And you don't need so many writers anymore. And so they're trying to protect their IP. And they should be striking because it's a problem. It's going to be an issue. And it's something that the studios and the streamers are going to have to come to grips with in order to, um, you know, to, really, to really help you know, that, that, that group of people and really put out really good quality content. Because the real answer isn't use, use AI or don't, or use writers or don't. It's how do you use them both together? Yeah, that's powerful. And, and I appreciate the example on the prompt engineering, right? Because it's just like in, in the marketing space, right? Your subject line, right? For your email marketing, your targeting, your different things. It seems to me with ChatGPT, and I've used it just sparingly, right? It's how do you lead it to give you data that is valuable, right? How do you, how do you create that, that appetite for insight, uh, if you will? And so and that, that makes a, a lot of sense. Here's my next question. I'm going to pull it back to kind of more business holistically and ask about the highlights from Chasing Greatness, which is another one of your of your books. Uh, that's a big term, right? What are some of the things that you touch on, right, in your learning and your guidance for future leaders, future dream chasers to meet and exceed their goals? Uh, you know, th- th- that's a great question. You know, in, in the opening of, of, of the podcast, you guys talk about empathy, so if you think about Chase Greatness, the, the word great and greatness is an acronym. And their acronym is five, is, is that acronym GREAT stands for gratitude, resilience, empathy, accountability, and transparency. To me, those are the five key attributes all future leaders need to exhibit in order to deal with the coming change in the workforce. So what is that coming change? A couple of things. In the next couple of years, by 2025, maybe 2026 at the latest, the majority of the workforce is going to be Gen Z, millennial, and for the first time, women will have a slight majority of the workforce in the U.S. So w- people can talk all they want about wokeness and all that fun stuff, but guess what? The boomer generation is leaving the workforce in droves. Gen Xers are getting older. And if you want to criticize millennials and Gen Z, just remember one thing. They're our kids. So if anything, look in the mirror because we raised them. Mm. That's number one. 
Number two is every generation evolves. Think about our generation. I'm a Gen Xer, right? I lived in the San Fernando Valley. I was a Valley dude, right, in the 80s. You know, what would people say about us? We're a bunch of degenerates. We're a bunch of headbangers, you know. This, you know, rap music is going to ruin your brain, right? <laughs> um, right? Uh, so, you know, we, we, we all, it, it, every generation goes through something like this. But generationally, you can't stop it because you can't stop time. So this disruption is coming to the workforce. And how are you going to embrace it? What type of culture are you going to build? And I'm just here to tell you that in order to have a successful company, in order to be an amazing leader in the future, I just personally believe that those five attributes of gratitude, resilience, empathy, accountability, and transparency are going to be key. Why those five? Why not others? Sure, there could have been others. Those are the five that resonated with me. Plus, it's easy to have a book title that way. So, so why gratitude? Gratitude. If you ask Satya Nadella, the, the CEO of Microsoft, the guy that replaced Steve Ballmer, he'll tell you the number one thing that turned Microsoft around, he, he believes, was gratitude. And I agree. To me, gratitude and is, is, has been a real mindset shift for me and my organization over the last few years, where, it's, where we really go out of our way to treat all, with, that, with the idea of respect. As a matter of fact, it's so important. My most important customer is my, inter, is my employees. Mm-hmm. So my, my employees are my number one customer, right? From there, during COVID, resilience became a big thing. I mean, Don, I mean, you know, there was no case study for me to go read. There was no Harvard case study on COVID for me to go read. That's right. There was no, there was no mentor for me to go call. I mean, I was an executive at Dell for a long time. I worked for Michael Dell. I couldn't call Michael and say, Michael, what do I do? He's going to look at me and say, I have no idea. We're making this up, right? Everybody's making it up. So I just decided that, you know what, we're going to be highly resilient in my organization and hopefully we're the case study that they write about in 10 years at Harvard. Having empathy in an organization. I grew up in an organization structure where if you needed to go talk to the boss, you better come with three solutions. Well, that's stupid. I mean, I realize now how stupid that is. You know why that's stupid? It's stupid because you're the CEO. You're the leader of the team for a reason. You have experiences. If you're telling people, don't talk to me unless you have three examples, guess what? They're not going to come and talk to you. Or they're going to give you one good idea and two shitty ideas that are that are, they're just wasting time. But the reason why having that open door policy is so important is so they can come in and say, hey, boss, I'm stuck. You have experiences. How can you help me? You know, and guess what? You might have an idea, a suggestion, an experience that might help unlock a piece of creativity in your employee that maybe they didn't realize that they had. That's why you're the boss, because you have experience. Don't hide, don't hide your empathetic experience behind this idea of just come to me with three when you have three, when you have three ideas for us to talk about. No. If you have no ideas, you're stuck, you need help, come and talk to me. I want to be empathetic. I want to listen to what you have to offer. But at the same time, guess what? I'm going to hold you accountable. We're going to do all these fun things and we're going to, we're going to have an amazing culture, but we're still going to have accountability and KPIs and OKRs that we're going to measure and you're going to be held accountable and I'm going to be held accountable. But in order to do that, I want you to trust me. But in order, before you can trust me, I have to be transparent. And that's what I learned during COVID, right? If I, you know, during COVID, we had to lay people off and we did pay cuts and we did all these kind of crazy things and that sucked. But within six months or so, we were able to return a lot of that because the company started doing really well and we didn't take any PPP money, which I'm pretty, pretty proud of. And so, you know, we, um, you know, we, we, we were able to do that because I was very transparent with them and told them what needed to be done. And, and the more transparent I was with them, the more they bought in. I mean, it wasn't just with the employees. We were highly transparent with our vendors as well, with our suppliers. And we went to them and said, look, here's the problem. 
here's our situation. You know, we lost over half our business overnight. Mm-hmm. We need your help. You know, what can you do for us? You know, we need a discount. We extended payment terms, whatever. Don, I'll tell you, we, we have hundreds of vendors and suppliers. Every single one of them did something for us except for one. And that one that didn't, we actually put them out to bid and the CEO came to me and apologized, said they should have helped us and they didn't. But anyways, they gave us a good deal later on. But even the big guys, Microsoft, Amazon, Amazon Cloud guys, you name it, they gave us, our internet guys, they, they, they gave us nine-month payment terms instead of 30 days. So people helped us because we were transparent and we, we were good to our word and we expressed our gratitude. So those are the key attributes, I think, of, of what the future looks like. And, and you know, you're going to have a changing workforce. And there's nothing you can do to stop it. So embrace it. I really appreciate both the, the detail kind of description of the book and, and the acronym GREAT. I also, in my notes, and I'm taking a lot of notes from this conversation, uh, the point that you make uh, about the math, the Gen Zers, the millennials, right, the women in the workplace, these numbers in terms of the demographic of business are facts. And so a lot of times when people are talking about DEI, wokeness, and I don't understand all this, they're getting confused with social justice and running a big and powerful growing business. And if you're running a growing business, then you have to take real data into your psyche. And how am I going to deal with this data, whether I like it or not? Right. And if you're marketing to a new group or segment growing market share, people necessarily understand that. But leaders that are going to be empathetic like you, leaders that are going to go next level like you, understand that their employees now, by default of the way businesses, have to be that number one customer because employees are looking for a personalized work experience. Right. In order for them to be productive and, and grow. So I like the and appreciate the, the way that you've delved into that. My final question that I that I have, because we've covered a lot. Um, I'm looking forward to, to digging into the AI made simple and chasing greatness. If you had a magic wand and you're looking at business and learning and grow, what would you do with that magic wand? Right. There's so much turmoil in our country. There's there's this uh, right and left co- component. Everybody's looking for a way to be pissed off at each other. If you had that magic wand, right, and could improve the business, the world that we live, what would you do with that magic wand? A magic wand, I would really make it so people didn't see color. I think I think that's a big issue. And you were talking about social justice a moment ago. You know the thing when 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 the whole George Floyd thing happened, I realized I had to say something and do something, you know, and I realized that the demographic statistics of my company, 47% of the people would would not necessarily be supportive of anything I did, right? So I decided I'm gonna I'm gonna give everybody a paid day off to go vote. Mm. So every year now for the last three years, we're gonna do it again here on November 7th of this year, even though it's an off-cycle election period, I shut my company down for a day and I give them a paid day off to go vote. And it might just be local elections, it might be whatever, but sometimes these things happen locally and and people say, well, Regina, what if they vote by mail? Well, if they vote by mail, then I encourage them to go be a poll worker. Uh, go get involved in your local community. And if they don't want to do that, then they just got a free day to have a mental wellness day to go hang out with their family and go do whatever they want to go do. But I feel like if by doing that, I empower my employees and their families to go stand up for what they believe in. They don't have to believe in what I believe in, but they just I'm giving them the power to go voice their opinion and go work in a way that 
the business is not going to stand in the way for them to have a better life. Because at the end of the day, this concept of enlightened leadership is built on servant leadership. And servant leadership says, I'm here to help you be successful in the company, right? That's what it says. I'm the CEO. What tool do you need to be successful? Enlightened leadership says, Don, not only am I here to help you be successful in the business, what can I do to support you and help you be successful outside the walls of the business? And hopefully that that's a... And that, that, that's a good answer for you to, um, to run with. But uh, I think it's a great answer. It's, it's thoughtful and, and precise from the chair that you sit in. And I think the thing that I describe to leaders, whether it's in my coaching practice or what I do on boards, is do what you can with what you have, but take action. And that's what you did. It's not that we're all going to prescribe and do our part to grow society, to grow better workplaces the same but do what we can to make a difference in the areas where we have influence. And, and that's what you're describing. Rajiv, I could literally, my friend, talk to you all day. Uh, I, I've got lots of questions and I really have enjoyed uh, hearing your voice on some of the things I read about you. And I know that our, our folks will enjoy it as well. I'm going to leave you with the last word. How can people get in touch with you? How can they buy the book if they want to follow up? Just leave with some parting thoughts on what you'd like folks to do next if they enjoyed this conversation and want to learn more. Yeah, so I appreciate that. So both books are available on Amazon. There's a paperback version available as well. Again, that's AI Made Simple. Go to Amazon, check it out. Chase Greatness on Amazon is also available. Feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. There's a couple of Rajiv Kapoor's because Rajiv Kapoor in India is like Steve Smith. So just make sure you find the one with the books and the name of my company is 1105 Media. That's 1105 Media. So check that out. Uh, and then, you know, just uh, and if anybody has any questions or, 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 or needs to reach out, um, LinkedIn's a great place to connect with me and, and, and to send me a message. And I'm more than happy to connect and, and help anybody who needs it. That is awesome. And we'll put all that information as well in the show notes. And Rajiv, again, thanks for being with us. Thanks for the insight. And thanks for making AI a little bit more simple. And quite frankly, the parting thought is you just got to play with it and try it, right? Don't let the boogeyman get you, right? Just jump in there and figure out some use cases that work for you. Yeah, I'll tell you, if you if people just jump in there and start playing with it, they're going to have so much fun. They're going to, it's going to be great. All right, my friend. Rajiv, thanks a bunch. Until next time, uh, DT over and out, high-octane leadership in an empathetic world. And I uh, hope you all enjoyed the time with Rajiv as much as I can.